Section 1. Defining the Problem Chapter 1. Introduction Trigger Warnings, Suicidal Ideation, Depression When I started my PhD, I truly believed I was going to get my doctorate and change the world. I was filled with naive optimism and a pinch of privilege thrown in for good measure. Before that point, nothing but my time and effort had stood in the way of my academic achievements. I can safely say that my PhD brought me down to earth. Fast. I went from a person that was confident to someone constantly questioning their abilities, worrying for hours on end when my research simply was not working in the way I hoped it would. My research wasn't a success, and from that I inferred, neither was I. Eventually, I ended up being diagnosed with clinical depression partway through my PhD. Again, I thought this was a reflection on me, that I was wholly inadequate and that I didn't have the resilience to survive in the academic environment. I felt so very alone. I thought that I was the only person experiencing mental illness. I was undeserving of my PhD position and I would never be able to graduate. I was constantly bombarded with thoughts that I was not good enough, that I was a failure, and that I was letting everyone, including myself, down. But unknowingly to myself at the time, it was the very skills I had learnt by osmosis during my PhD programme that were ultimately going to save my life. When I was at my lowest, at near breaking point, experiencing near-daily suicidal ideation, I found myself at a crossroads. Unsure on how to proceed, I decided to do what any researcher might do. I started researching. I wanted to understand more about why I felt the way I did. What I found shocked me. I learned that approximately 50% of PhD students experience mood disorders, such as anxiety and or depression, during their PhD. Yes, you heard that right, one in two of our brightest minds. To put this in perspective, this is about six times higher than the general population. I questioned why I had not heard about this endemic that was inherent within the PhD population. Why had I not been taught more about the risk I might face during a PhD? As I delved deeper, I looked for books, papers, articles and resources talking about PhD mental health, and found few. No PhD-specific mental health support was offered to me at my institution. In fact, back then, I couldn't find tailored PhD mental health support at many institutions around the world. Thankfully, this has really started to change over recent years, with more and more being published on PhD graduate mental health and several universities realising the need to provide tailored support. Over the years, I reflected on why this gap exists, and I've come to several conclusions. First, universities focus so heavily on undergraduate mental health that postgraduate mental health often falls by the wayside. This is understandable, to an extent, as undergrads typically make up the majority of student populace. Combined with drastically underfunded, understaffed mental health support services, 
who were already stretched too thin, extending provision to postgraduate students seems a mammoth task. What often ends up happening instead is that undergraduate provision is garnered as appropriate for postgraduate students too, ultimately leading to mental health support feeling disingenuous. For example, the vast majority of PhD students are not having to deal with prolonged exam stress. So workshops or yoga sessions to manage exam stress are unlikely to feel useful to PhD students. Further, despite working similar hours to academic staff, PhD students often do not qualify as staff at universities, meaning they do not receive basic benefits like sick leave and employee mental health support. And in my experience, in the rare cases where PhD students are recognised as staff at their institutions, the mental health support for staff is not tailored for PhD students and does not take into account the unique pressures of PhD study. Second is that mental health is nuanced and experiences from person to person are diverse. So much so, the onus for looking after one's mental health is often placed on the individual, despite our universities playing a huge role in feeding an often toxic research culture. Throughout my research, I have found that there are similar environmental challenges running through many individual experiences that impact mental health as a PhD student. It is these common stress factors that, perhaps in isolation, would be manageable but combined together with the intensity of a PhD programme, can lead to mental ill health. This includes how we perceive ourselves and our achievements. For example, experiencing the imposter phenomenon, how we manage failure, and comparing ourselves with others, as well as institutional issues, such as experiencing poor supervision, systemic racism, and or dealing with academic bullying all of which will be discussed throughout this guide. Further, in my opinion, conversations around the systemic challenges that may be encountered are often not discussed before students embark on a PhD, as acknowledging there are issues means admitting there may be something that needs fixing in the first place. This silence is further exacerbated by PhD student mental ill health being a concern at every institution around the world. As if the problem is everywhere, being among the first to step forward, acknowledge the issue and work towards change is a risk, requiring investment, resources and prioritisation. Ignoring the issue, shifting blame and relying on individual resilience is often the perceived less costly approach to our institutions. And finally, perhaps the most prolific reason there is still significant stigma attached to mental health. In the academic environment, many do not feel they can openly discuss their mental health for fear of losing future opportunities or being discriminated against. Unfortunately, in many instances, this is often true. This must change. It is only by talking about mental health that we can start to break the stigma that exists. We all have mental health, and to disregard it is to ignore a portion of us that enables us to do the world-leading research we joined academia to do. This book aims to fill this gap 
that exists. We will explore the PhD experience like never before, focusing on your mental health and all that may intersect with it during the PhD journey. This includes exploring how to improve your own well-being, from establishing a self-care strategy to seeking professional help. We will then delve deeper, focusing on parts of the academic journey that are outside of your control, that can be challenging. As a survival guide, this book by definition aims to explore beyond any personal responsibility to look after your mental health and delve into the systemic issues that exist within the academy that may impact well-being. To not discuss them would be to not describe what you need to survive through in the first place. There are, of course, plenty of amazing reasons we might want to embark on a PhD, such as loving to learn and wanting to make the world around us a better place. I suspect you would not be reading this book if you did not know what the positives of pursuing a PhD are. It is only natural that at the start of an exciting journey, we focus on the positives and what we hope to get out of the process. However, just like if you were to go on a long hike, setting off without a map and provisions could be potentially dangerous. The same is true of the PhD journey. It is this discussion that is so often missing when talking through the challenges of the academy. Thus, in this book, I hope to explore well beyond the typical trite, eat well conversation when it comes to mental health and talk about the behind the scenes of doing a PhD that is so often missing. So yes, this book is going to be self-help for your PhD journey, but I hope it will be self-help with a difference. It is also necessary to say, this book is not designed to discourage you from your endeavours. Far from it. Its purpose is to better prepare you for the personal challenges you may face navigating your PhD journey. As academics, we believe that with knowledge comes power. The same applies for PhD mental health. If you are aware of the challenges you may face and you are provided with coping strategies, you can be better prepared and more likely to succeed. Most of all, I want to say to you that whether you're experiencing mental health concerns for the first time during your PhD or have a long history with mental illness, you can succeed. A PhD is not for the exclusive few. There is space for us too. A comment on the guide. An important disclaimer is that I am no psychologist, nor am I formally trained in mental health, and so this book is not intended to be a replacement for professional help, medical, legal advice or otherwise. It is instead intended to be an insider guide on navigating your PhD based on my own PhD journey and mental health advocacy work. A large portion of this book is experience-based for this reason. With reference to evidence-based statistics, interventions and resources that helped me where appropriate. As I sit here writing, I know I will undoubtedly not capture everything out there. Because of this, there will be gaps in this book, literature I missed, perspectives I failed to cover, and amazing work I overlooked by accident. For me, 
This book has never been about creating an all-encompassing PhD mental health guide, where I come up with solutions for all challenges, but an opportunity to spark further discussion and change. Some of the issues that I discuss in this book, you may look at and think, how would that affect my mental health? The truth is that it's unlikely that every section will be relevant to you, and I sincerely hope they aren't. What I have learned, however, is that with the PhD process, it is often the seemingly innocuous small things that in isolation would be manageable when combined with others that can take a huge toll on our mental health. This is why we will explore all the way from perfectionism to discrimination and beyond. Further, navigating mental illness while studying for a PhD can be tough. I want to acknowledge that I can give you all the advice in the world on how to manage your mental illness, but advice is not always helpful. This comes down to the fact that many of us are trying our best to be well, and the chances are we have already tried a range of different options to manage our mental health. This guide, in all likelihood, will not offer a quick fix for you and solve the mental health struggles you're experiencing. But I do hope that it will make you realise you are not alone. What I cannot do with this book is fix all the systemic issues within academia that you may encounter. Many are deeply ingrained and certainly not possible to fix from the outside. Although I will continue to actively campaign to make cross-sector changes. Any tips and tricks I can give you to navigate bullying or harassment or experiencing microaggressions in the workplace, for example, run the risk of minimising how challenging it can be to be exposed to such serious issues. This is not my intention. I want to acknowledge that whilst throughout this book there is an emphasis on what you can do to empower yourself and seek help, focusing on the power you have in order to address some of these issues fully whole research culture reform is needed. I also cannot cover every eventuality. The pressures that might contribute towards poor mental health and well-being are many, and as varied as the topics that we research. I have aimed to capture the key themes running through the many mental health experiences during a PhD. But please note, if you do not find something covered, it does not mean your own experience is not valid. The PhD experience also varies vastly country to country. For example, there may be a qualification for candidacy, like in the US system, or vastly different lengths of a PhD programme. For example, in the EU, three and a half years is typical, while in the US PhD study is often much longer. To this end, I will refer to anyone studying for a PhD as a PhD student irrespective of how far into the process they are. Further, the person that oversees the PhD student may be referred to as a principal investigator in some countries, but for the purpose of this book, I will use the name PhD supervisor, which is more commonly used in the UK. Some of these subtleties will be lost throughout this book, as this book is designed to provide advice and reassurance to PhD students globally. This also highlights a much-needed disclosure from me, the author, at the start of this book. I studied for my PhD in the United Kingdom, 
I am a cisgender, white woman from a working-class background who has depression and anxiety as well as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. My own personal experience intersects with typical science, technology, engineering and mathematics, STEM, PhD study. But I have little experiences of what doing a PhD is like outside this umbrella, for example in the arts or humanities. Whilst I've broadened my perspectives through my mental health advocacy work, as well as being a co-founder of the Voices of Academia blog, created to amplify the mental health stories of others, my experience will always be from my own lens and tinged with my own biases. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all the people that have shared their stories and struggles with me and enabled me to broaden my own understanding of the challenges that PhD students from all walks of life experience. You will find quotes throughout the book from a range of individuals who are all PhD students unless explicitly stated otherwise. For each account, I've chosen to refer to individuals as simply PhD student 1, PhD student 2, etc. This is because some individuals intersect heavily with a range of different protected characteristics, and protecting their identity is paramount. Perhaps it is telling on academia that I have to do this, those that contributed to this book represent experiences from a range of fields, from geography to economics to art history to chemistry, from all genders and from a range of countries across the world. With a guide like this, there is always a trade-off between brevity, applicability of content, and the level of detail that is required to explore difficult topics. I hope that I have done each one of them justice, but I encourage you to seek out additional resources on topics covered here that resonate with you. Please see the back of the book for information on how to access my online PhD resource list. To this end, if there is one thing I truly hope to do with this book, it is to empower you to seek out help for yourself locally as relevant advice, accessibility and availability of resources will also depend on your specific situation. If you are studying for a PhD, I know that a PhD can be taxing, both in time and energy. For this reason, the book is broken down into short, digestible subsections, making it easier to stop and start reading the book when you can. This guide focuses on four key sections. The first, defining the problem set, where we will look at the statistics behind PhD mental health, explore your understanding of mental illness and drill down into why PhD mental health concerns are so high. The second can be simply summarised as mindset, looking at how you feel about yourself and how you can best support yourself through your PhD experience. I will cover a range of topics from managing your research time, setting boundaries and managing feeling like an imposter. I will also discuss a range of strategies to help you get through your PhD programme that you can work towards implementing today. The third part explores the common environmental stresses created by the existing research culture within academia that may impact your mental health during the PhD process. 
Many of these may not be directly in your control and you may not even have noticed them, but I hope by acknowledging them as well as focusing on practical tips and tricks that you can do in order to navigate academia and stay well, I can empower you to succeed despite a research environment that may not be stacked in your favour. The fourth and final part of the book explores seeking help for your mental health, including finding support groups, having difficult conversations with your supervisor and putting yourself first. Throughout each chapter, I also provide some details of what institutions should and could be doing to make the PhD student experience better. I have included this because I want to challenge the notion that mental health is an individual issue. Responsibility for change relies heavily on our institutions recognising there is a problem and working towards a more equitable, welcoming research culture. I also include this to assist you as a PhD student because although change so often should come top-down, often it is bottom-up grassroots, student-led efforts that can make a difference when it comes to making change. In an ideal world, you wouldn't have to advocate for yourself. But in this world that is far from ideal, I give you a starting point to consider what you might lobby for. I also want to emphasise that this book details some of the darker corners of academia. The bits we don't often openly talk about. It does not mean everything detailed in this book will happen to you. It's important to remember this. If you are a PhD supervisor or PhD course coordinator, I want to start by saying that being a PhD supervisor is a difficult, often thankless job, and that the chances are, if you're reading this book, you care deeply about the success and welfare of your PhD students already. On top of being a researcher, a leader and a teacher, it is unreasonable to expect you to also act as a therapist or mental health provider to your PhD students as well. Quite frankly, you're unlikely to be qualified to do so, let alone have the time to provide such support. However, you will likely be supporting a range of different PhD students through a challenging few years of their lives and mental health concerns are going to feature along the way. I therefore ask you to think about how you can use your position to better improve PhD mental health support in two ways. One, reflect on your own practices and the impact they could have, even inadvertently. And two, consider how you might use your position of power to advocate for better mental health support for those that need it. This book provides a starting point for you to understand some of the immense pressures students may be experiencing, enabling you to better support them through their PhD. I ask you to think about whether you know what resources are available to support someone if they came to you in distress, and find that information for a rainy day if you don't, as well as critically assess if the support that is available is fit for purpose. I also invite you to think about the role you might play in PhD student mental health, paying particular attention to Chapter 9. Further, environments where mental health is never discussed can have huge impacts on the well-being of your students. I encourage you to use this book as a starting point 
to have some of those difficult conversations. The Advocating for Better sections at the end of each chapter provide a good place to start. If you are a concerned friend or family member, you might be reading this book to better understand what a friend or family member is experiencing. Academia is nuanced, with a hidden curriculum that can often impact PhD students heavily, but also, by proxy, family members and friends too. It can be incredibly difficult to put yourself in the shoes of your loved one who is embarking on a PhD. Academic terminology alone can result in difficulty communicating how someone is feeling to the outside world. If you are reading this book, it is likely that you have already noticed the signs of mental illness within your loved one and are looking for ways you can support them. I hope that this book can be used to better equip you to have much-needed conversations. I also want to acknowledge that supporting someone with mental illness can be tough and to remind you that you yourself may also need support. Finally, you may read this book having already navigated a PhD and have not experienced any of the issues I explore. You may think that I am painting the academy in a particularly bleak light and that I'm providing only information on worst-case scenarios. I want to reiterate to you that survivor bias is very real and just because you did not experience something does not mean that it does not exist. Mental health struggles during PhD study are very real and it is time for us to talk about it.